everyone, and welcome to Your Sales MBA, the podcast where your hosts, sales experts, Jeff Hoffman and Cece Aparo, answer your most challenging sales and management questions. Time to dive into this week's episode topic. Do you ever feel like you're annoying your prospects, or worse, stalking them? Do you second-guess yourself when you call them on their cell phone? Do you have the urge to bring up a story they tweeted about in 2009 in your 2019 meeting? We're playing with the fine line of sales and stalking on this week's episode of Your Sales MBA. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Your Sales MBA. I'm Cece Aparo, and that's Jeff Hoffman. Hi, Cece. Hi, Jeff. And we're here to answer all of your sales questions at every stage of the sales funnel. Class is in session, and this week we are answering Arsham's sale versus stalking dilemma. This is my favorite! All right. Let's read this email from Arsham, Jeff and CC. Okay, so there are times where I feel like an incredible sales rep, and there are times where I feel like an absolute stalker. When is it okay to call someone on their cell? How much prep is too much prep? Like, should I know where they went to college, or is it irrelevant? How many times should I reach out to them before I've crossed the line? When do I cross the line from being good at sales to good at stalking? Arsham. <laughs> That's a, what a great question, Arsham. And I'll tell you, you did a good job on that email, but I think if you had one more sentence, you'd be guilty of stalking us. I think that I get it. I get it. No, I, I look, this is a real challenge we all have to kind of wrestle with because how does one be persistent, which is such a hallmark to being successful at this job, with not being pestering, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what it feels like. For most buyers, you say, well, what don't you like about salespeople? And usually the first thing they say is, they're too pushy. And so when we start acting pushy or worse, start acting like we're not pushy, but being pushy, Mm -hmm. it really starts to blow up. So I think it it would behoove us all to talk a little bit about some of the disciplines we want to bring into our process so that we are persistent and we're pursuing opportunities with excitement and acceleration and vigor, but we're doing it with good stewardship and we're doing it with respect and we're doing it with thoughtfulness and kindness. So we need to somehow figure out how to do this. So a couple of thoughts. First, you want to have rules established for yourself independent of any deal. So it's very hard to say things like, I'm only going to email this person four times, or I'm only going to talk to this person three times this month until I move on or whatever. It's very hard to think about that when you're thinking about a real deal, because that real deal, you want to close, or you want to get that meeting, or you re- or your boss is really anxious for us to get them in the pipeline. So or maybe I'll make an exception on this one. I'll do a fourth call. That's when the desperateness starts. So have some rules. For me and a lot of the folks that we coach in our trainings, a good rule of thumb is five touches in 30 days. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always five touches in 30 days. You might be listening to this podcast and your internal metrics show you that it's 15 touches in 30 days. But it's a good kind of placeholder for appropriateness. Why? Because study after study after study has shown that your response rates will improve with every subsequent attempt until they stop. And there is a law of diminishing returns. There is going to be an email where that is the best it's ever going to be. And statistically, in a broad spectrum of data, that number apparently is five. So I start there. 
I'm going to reach out and talk to him and I will attempt five attempts in a given period of time. Once I've established that that's my rule, the next thing I'm going to do is make sure that when I am reaching out to these prospects, that I am not beating the same drum every single time. I don't want to say things like, um, I want to call to see if they wanted to be invited to an executive summit that we're sponsoring, try to get some CFOs in a room to hear about our products. I made that invite last week, didn't hear back. Let me double down on the invite. Nope. That would be, frankly, you know, Arsham, that kind of idea of stalking. Go ahead and call that CFO in a second time in the second week. Have something else to talk about. Because without that, it is going to be like you're stalking or that you're getting just a little too forceful with it. Other thing I'm going to do is I don't want to reference failed attempts along the journey. So if I've tried to reach you, CC, three times in the last couple of weeks, it's unlikely that I'm going to say on the third email, um, oh, CC, I've been trying to reach you for the last couple of weeks. That would be me alerting you that I have been stalking you. It's even worse than stalking. I'm actually saying I'm a stalker when I do it. You know, we've had some uh, emails in the past talking about open rates and about why don't people respond to our emails. Here's the thing, Arsham, ask yourself this, you know, if you're going to make an assumption and in this case, the assumption would be, oh, they're going to be so annoyed if I, you know, continually, you know, kind of chase them and stalk them. But you don't know that for sure because you've never spoken to the person. If you're going to make an assumption, which is complete science fiction, why don't you make an assumption that empowers you instead of an assumption that makes you feel bad? I never assume that they're ignoring my emails. I always assume they didn't see my emails. So if they never saw my email, why on earth would I say in email three, I've been trying to reach you? Because all that's going to do is look weird to the person because they didn't even realize, what do you mean trying to reach me? I don't even know you. How can you be trying to reach me if you don't know me? It doesn't make sense. So consider the idea that you want to isolate a little and, and have some discipline around it. I'm going to answer that question on the other side, though, about what do we do about texting? Because that seems to be a little weird. Okay, so let's talk about the other part of that question, which is around texting. And in general, let's just kind of talk about the, the ideas around non-traditional vehicles when you prospect. The most traditional, of course, being, I would argue, in order. First one being phone, second one being email, and third being some kind of live appearance. Those are rarer than they used to be. They've come back. Post 9-11, they ended for a long time. The security protocols in most buildings don't let reps just take the elevator up and down buildings. But I have seen that relax a little, but, but primarily we're phone and email. But there's a host of other ways we can prospect. We've got LinkedIn and we've got uh, Twitter and we've got Instagram and we've got uh, Facebook. And then of course I've got their cell phone number and then I've got text and then I've got IM. And there's so many ways that I could probably prospect. And wouldn't I want to grab the line that's the shortest line in the room? If everyone's emailing, but very few are IMing, shouldn't I IM? And the, so the thought starts to be, let me get in the shortest line. What's, what's creative? But to your point, We'll be crossing lines here. Well, here's my thought on it. And I say this very carefully. This is a very special day, Cece. What's today? Well, in many cultures, this is the most important day of the year. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's, it's, um, I don't know where you're from originally, but in many cultures, it is. Um, today is my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. You already knew that, though. She said happy birthday when I walked in. She's <laughs> pretending she didn't know. Yeah. Oh, but um, it is my birthday, and um, I am, uh, and I'm, I'm 19 which I, I feel good about. I'm not 19. I'm 51 years old today. 51 years young today. 
And at 51... Which is why you're doing a lot of IMing. <laughs> right, right. So, so I'm very self-aware on my age and that technology has started to pass me by a little bit. So my reluctance to text a stranger might not be yours, and I'm not going to claim that my rules for texting, IMing, et cetera, are you know, in granite because I recognize that things change. Um, that being said, and I'm going to ask UCC on kind of your take on this, here are my rules for it. First, if the vehicle that I'm trying to use, any of these things, social, text, IM, if the vehicle I'm trying to use and their Skype number or their Twitter feed or their cell phone that I'd use for texting, if those things are conspicuous, I'll use them even when I prospect. When I say conspicuous, what does that mean? I mean they have placed those vehicles, the prospect, not you, has placed their ways to get their attention, have placed them in the public eye. If they post blogs with their Twitter handle, if they have their cell phone number in their LinkedIn profile, they are blessing these vehicles to be used. Maybe they're doing it intentionally. Maybe they're doing it non-intentionally. And if they're doing it non-intentionally, I won't repeat that with that prospect. But if the prospect says, um, why are you texting me? I would respond, oh, well, your cell phone number was in your LinkedIn profile. And then they might say, oh, I didn't intend it to be used this way. And I said, well, I, I had no idea what your intentions were. And, and if this is bothering you, I will never text you again and I will get rid of this number. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking to make anyone mad and I respect your privacy. I'm just using the numbers that are found conspicuously. So I won't use a variety of methods and tools and techniques to figure out what those numbers or vehicles are because that violates my rule of conspicuousness. If I had to steal the cell phone number or somehow grab their LinkedIn profile from another means, that isn't going to work. So the first rule I'm going to use is the vehicle has to be conspicuous. So I agree with all of that. I, too, only use Twitter or LinkedIn or email addresses if they are conspicuous. Here's my role with cell phone numbers. Unless the prospect gave me their cell phone number directly, I do not use it. That is my own personal opinion. That is how I roll. But I hear this a lot in trainings reps say, well, in Salesforce, I see there's a cell phone number and there's a office number. Which one should I use? And I always say, um, unless they gave you that cell phone number directly, I prefer not to use it. You know, that's fair. I mean, I, I wouldn't discount that. I do it a little differently. And I think that's that's one of the beautiful things about sales is there's, there's no real one way to do things. And I respect that. Uh, when I think about, have I ever texted a as a cold call? I don't remember a time where I've done it. So I probably am kind of following that rule too. But I have no issues if you're using it that other way. What I will say though is this, when you're using alternative means of communication, not, which is simply not email, not phone, Respect the calendar and the business day and the hours of the day. Knowing that this is their cell phone number or knowing this is their LinkedIn, I don't want to do it unless it's between 8.30 and 5.30, Monday through Friday. I am never going to text the customer or prospect on the weekends or, on, or at night or at odd hours. But I might send an email at an odd hour because I think that's appropriate. I agree with you on that one. And I think the same thing goes for the information that you're finding through social. It's not about can I use this? Can I not use it? It's about when am I using it and where is it appropriate in the sales process in order to do that. So for example, are some things like where do they go to school? Do I think that is important to use? 
maybe if it makes sense for you, maybe you went to that school and it's not something I'd lead with in the prospecting effort. Maybe that would be something I bring up on meeting two or three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have another question. Yes. You all right in there, Allie? In our control booth? What the hell did you do? What'd you, it sounds like you dropped a bowling ball. <laughs> I saw this, ma- heard this massive noise. I look up at Allie and, and she's biting her lips so she's not screaming. You all right in there? All right, y'all good. All right, she thumbs up. Cool. So hopefully that helps uh, our show. You know, we we talked about social value before. We'll talk about it some more at other other podcasts. But the concept of demonstrating popularity is easily weakened when you're perceived as anything other than you know someone who's just confident in their approach. So if you feel like you're acting like a stalker, you probably are acting like a stalker, and you're right to not want to act that way. Here's one other thing to consider, too, to all of us out there that worry about being a stalker. You know, remember this. Number one, people don't like salespeople very much. So the opinion that the prospect has of you before they meet you isn't very high. And that can make you sad. <laughs> but but the flip side of that is they also don't spend a lot of mental energy thinking about the unknown sales rep. So even if it was a terrible email or a mi- inappropriately timed text, the chances are overwhelming that within minutes or hours of receiving it, they'll have completely forgotten it. So the lasting memory that reps have on people is also very small. And that's a good thing. So So consider that. And also consider this. Don't think about ending the cycle with a breakup email or a breakup call. Think about ending the cycle with a brand new close. Mm If you've been asking for a meeting times three or four emails to no luck, make that final email a question about how can I learn more about your business or who should I talk to or some other close. Very often, it can be the close that's peeping people from engaging with you. If you're always asking strangers for meetings and those meetings are 60 minutes long and you're calling the C-suite, no one's going to email you back. And it's probably your cost of your clothes. So all of those things need to come into play as well. So great email. All right, one thing that everybody can do in this podcast, listening today, the next five minutes to improve their pipeline If you're listening, I'd like you to do the following. I want you to look at any opportunity you currently have in your pipeline, regardless of sales stage or forecast. And any of those opportunities where you haven't had a direct conversation, not email, but direct conversation in the last 14 days, you are going to manually drop that deal one stage down. So if it's in stage two or three or four or six, and I don't know all of your sales stages, but whatever it is, if it's in stage three and you haven't talked to that prospect, not email, talked to that prospect in two weeks, it's now stage two. You can still work it. You can still close it. But start to work the habit of understanding that deals don't move to the right until they die their death. They move to the right until they close or they back up to the left. So it's a good way to manage that middle part of your pipeline. I like it. Drop it like it's hot. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you, Cece. Happy selling, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Your Sales MBA. If you have sales or management questions, feel free to send them to podcast at sellhoffman.com. That's podcast at S-E-L-L-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.com. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps boost us in the ratings so other reps like you can find us. Until next time, happy selling. Mm-hmm.